And if you would take your Bible uh, at this time and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. He lives, and how, you ask me how I know he lives? Well, he lives within. And if you're here today and he doesn't live within your heart, I hope that today is the day that he does start living in your heart. Um, and with that in mind, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and uh, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 11, a little lengthy passage uh, together today, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful passage as we consider the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, the Bible says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. And with that, let's pray together, and then we'll get into our message together today. Lord, we do thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for these beautiful hymns that we've been able to sing as we dwell and reflect upon the fact that you are living today. Lord, thank you for the excitement of celebrating this with our friends and family and brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that as we now turn our attention to your word and to what the word of God has to say about this, uh, Lord, I pray that you would still our hearts and, and help us to have um, a focus in on what you'd have for us today and, and help us to have open ears, but more importantly, open hearts to what uh, you want to speak to us about. And uh, we'll thank you for all you do in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This week, I read about a little boy named Philip who was born with Down syndrome and who attended a third grade Sunday school class with several other eight-year-old boys and girls. Typical of that age, the children did not readily accept Philip with his differences. But because of a creative teacher, they began to care about Philip and accept him as part of the group, though not fully. Well, the Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought large plastic eggs to class. Each receiving one, the children were told to go outside on that lovely spring day to find some symbol for new life and put that symbol in the egg. Well, back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbols, opening the containers one by one in surprise fashion. After running about the church property in wild confusion, the 
students returned to the classroom and placed the containers on the table. And don't worry, we're not going to do that today. In our Sunday school classes, uh, we're going to make sure that everybody stays under good supervision. <laughs> I was reading this, and I'm like, uh, I'm sure the pastor maybe not, didn't know about this. Uh, uh, anyway, surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. After each one, whether flower, butterfly, or leaf, the class would ooh and ah. And then one was opened, revealing nothing inside at all. The children exclaimed, that's stupid. That's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. And Philip, the one with Down syndrome, spoke up. He said, that's mine. Philip, you don't do, you, you don't ever do things right, the students retorted. There's nothing there. I did so do it, Philip insisted. I did do it. It's empty because the tomb was empty. Well, silence followed, and from then on, Philip became a full member of that class. Well, Philip died not long afterward from an infection most normal children would have shrugged off. At the funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up to the casket, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, each to lay on it a plastic egg, and all of them were empty. Because you see, there is great power in the not just empty egg, but in the empty tomb. Great power. And this morning, I'd like to just bring to you a message entitled, The Power of the Resurrection. See, today we celebrate the greatest and most important event in human history, and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If this didn't happen, then as Paul says in verse number 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you look there in verse 14, it says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. He says, why, why would we go to the trouble of, of preaching to you if Christ be not risen? And then in verse, later in verse 14, he says, And your faith is also vain. Christ be not risen, then why in the world are we here this morning? Why don't we just sleep in and enjoy a, a nice time with our family? Uh, no, the reason we're here is because Christ is indeed risen. And so as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, there's many different reasons why he wrote to the, this church family. There was some serious, this was a seriously dysfunctional church family to say the least. But one thing they needed some clarification on was this idea of the resurrection of Christ. And so Paul here acts in many ways as a defense attorney uh, and begins to defend the, uh, the, the reality of the resurrection. And as we consider this passage today in the glorious and powerful resurrection, I, I want us to, to, to look at this and to make four good decisions as we go through this passage. First of all, first decision is, number one, to realize the truth of the resurrection. To realize the truth of the resurrection. And, and Paul here, as he writes to this church family, is, is painting a picture that, hey, the resurrection is no myth. It's no fairy tale. It was reality. It actually happened. It's truth. Verse number three, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins 
according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, not according to myth, not according to legend, tradition, historians, no, but according to the scriptures, the holy word of God that cannot, uh, cannot lie, cannot uh, be untrue. In Acts chapter number 1, Luke says this uh, in verse number 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Luke says, as Jesus resurrected after the resurrection, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He gave some tremendous evidence uh, that points to the reality and to the truth of the re resurrection. Uh, what are some of these uh, proofs that we can look to? Uh, well, not recorded necessarily in this uh, passage, but in others, uh, we find that, number one, uh, the empty tomb uh, is the uh, infallible proof of the resurrection. If you uh, hold your place here and, and, and jump back to Luke chapter 24, and we could go to really any of the... Uh, um, passages that cover in the Gospels the resurrection, but uh, I chose Luke chapter 24 this morning uh, for us to look at, and I'd like to just read it. There, there's, I, I could just tell you, hey, the tomb's empty, but I, I'd like to look at the scriptures because, again, Paul says he rose again according, the third day according to the scriptures. How did the script, what do the scriptures say about that? Well, verse number one says, now, in Luke 24, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Now remember, there were Roman soldiers there assigned to guard the tomb to make sure that nobody came in and... Not that it would happen, but that no one would come out. Well, they were unsuccessful because someone came out of that tomb. And, uh, well, they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And the Bible says they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Verse 8 says, And they remembered his words. So here we see the, the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. He, he, he's gone. See, uh, going back to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Look, you can dig up the bones of all the founders of various religions. You can dig up the bones of Siddhartha Gautama, also known as the Buddha. You can dig up the bones of Muhammad, of Confucius, of Joseph Smith, of Mary Baker Eddy. All of these people, you can go to their tombs and dig up and, and, and look at their bones. But try as you might. You're not going to be able to find the bones of the Lord Jesus Christ because his tomb is empty and he is risen. You see, the empty tomb means really only two things could have happened at that moment. Either Jesus was resurrected or someone stole the body. Now consider these couple thoughts here. 
if the opponents took the body of Jesus, those who wanted him crucified, those who wanted to silence his message, if they were the ones who took the body, why did they not simply produce it later to stop this rumor of the resurrection spreading? It's ridiculous to think that they stole the body without producing it later. Well, what about the disciples? Couldn't they have stolen it? Well, the disciples wouldn't be able to because the Roman soldiers, remember, sealed that tomb and guarded it with their lives, knowing that if they allowed the disciples to come in and steal it, then those, uh, their lives were uh, at stake. So the Roman soldiers were there to seal that tomb and to guard it. That is until the stone rolled away, and then they had to go and tell and say, um, this is what happened. And then they, the, the, the leaders said, okay, well, here's a lie that you're going to start spreading, and we're going to give you money to start spreading that lie. Uh, politics hasn't changed much in all these years, has it? The empty tomb stands as a tremendous, infallible proof of the truth of the, re- of, of the resurrection. But, but what else? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to give another uh, proof, and that is the eyewitnesses, the eyewitnesses. In verse number 4, he says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then verse 5 says, and that he was seen. He was seen. And he was seen of several individuals. He was seen by his friends. Verse number 5 says he was seen of Cephas. This is Peter, a reference to Peter. By the way, it is interesting that he is mentioned first, the one who denied the Lord uh, right before the crucifixion. And uh, Jesus made a point to go to Peter first, to go and, and, and let him know that he was alive. Of course, uh, he actually, I think, presented himself first to Mary Magdalene. That was uh, an interesting story here. But, but, but Paul mentions first that uh, the Cephas was, was seen. And then of the twelve. So he, he was seen by his friends. And then in, in verse number 6, he was seen by the 500. In, in verse number 6, after that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Now, again, if we were in a courtroom and, and uh, I were a defense attorney and I said, hey, look, I have 500 witnesses that saw the same thing and Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're going to go through all 500 of them. Uh, well, there's a few that aren't here. They're, they're, they've died, but uh, maybe 450. We're going to go ahead and, and, and ask them. Uh, you'd be going, okay, okay, after about the 12th one, you'd be going, okay, this is enough witnesses. Got it. I got it. I got the picture. Okay, it happened. Uh, but Paul says there are four, 500 witnesses that, that, that got to see Jesus with their physical eyes. So he was seen by his friends, by the 500, by his family. He was seen by his family in verse number 7. After that, he was seen of James. James was one of his half-brothers that he grew up with. James was the author of the book of James that we have in the New Testament. And Jesus appeared to him, and uh, he uh, said, Hey, brother. Uh, all those crazy things that you thought I was saying, I wasn't making them up. I, I really am the Son of God. I really am the Messiah. And later James would become an instrumental part of uh, the early church. 
So he uh, showed himself to his family. And by the way, in Acts chapter number one, where we find uh, the early disciples after the, after the ascension of Christ, a lot of uh, the 120 that were assembled in the upper room, uh, many of his brothers and sisters and his mom were there, who at first didn't believe because he's just being a weirdo. Uh, he's not a weirdo. See, the resurrection, um, yeah, he's not a weirdo anymore. And he was seen by his friends. He was seen by the 500. He was seen by his family, and he was seen by his followers. And verse number seven, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And then verse eight says, he was also seen of his foe. And last of all, he was seen of me, Paul says, also as one born out of due time. See, Paul was uh, a tremendous enemy to Christ and, and an enemy to Christianity. And, and yet the Lord saw something in the apostle, in, in Saul of Tarsus, um, that, hey, I got to show myself to him. And, and he did on the road to Damascus as Paul was going, or Saul of Tarsus, sorry, was uh, headed to Damascus to try to persecute the church of God. There, a great, great, bright, shining light shone on him. He fell to the ground. He was blinded. And uh, that was uh, Jesus showing himself alive to Saul of Tarsus. So the eyewitnesses are proof of the reality of the truth of the resurrection. What else? Thirdly, we see the extreme change of the disciples. Each one of the disciples continued to propagate the resurrection and to serve the Lord Jesus the rest of their days. And all of the disciples were killed for their faith except two. Of course, we know that Judas was, um, he killed himself. He committed suicide. And then John, uh, the apostle John, died of natural causes, but faithfully lived for Christ all of his days. And why would they be willing to do that for a lie? That's ridiculous. Uh, what made the difference? Well, of course, the resurrection made the difference. And then we have the fourth proof here, the existence of the church. If you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter number 3, and uh, we'll be back here in 1 Corinthians 15 in a moment. But uh, Acts chapter number 3, so the existence of the church is totally dependent on the truth of the resurrection. If the resurrection is not true, then the church really has no message to preach. See, the early church grew through the preaching of the doctrine and the truth of the resurrection. Acts chapter number 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says this, uh, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter is preaching here and he says, But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, verse 15, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So this was an integral part of the preaching of the a focus that uh, these disciples and, and, and apostles were preaching. Verse number or chapter four and verse number two. Let's look at this verse. Uh, let's pick it up in verse one. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they were kind of known for preaching the resurrection, and this is why they got so persecuted. This is why there was such uh, uh, 
craziness going on in that, in that day. And yet they continued preaching the truth of the resurrection and they continued on. So going back to 1 Corinthians 15. So here are many infallible proofs of his resurrection. It's almost, again, as if Paul is acting as a defense attorney for the resurrection. He brings all these evidences. Exhibit A, the empty tomb. Exhibit B, the eyewitnesses. Exhibit C, the extreme change of the disciples. Look at how all the disciples were different because of the resurrection. And, and the fact that there, there's a church, and by the way, uh, 2,000 years later, here is the church continuing. And we're continuing to preach on the resurrection. Again, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a made-up fun story that we like to tell once a year. It's the truth. Okay, in a sense, he says, Paul does, okay, here's all these exhibits and all these eyewitnesses. I rest my case. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's now your decision to decide what you do with the resurrection. Now, what should we do then with all that evidence? Well, that leads me to the second thought here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we are to first uh, realize the truth of the resurrection. But then number two, let's, we need to respond by trusting the resurrection. Verse number three, we see this in, back in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, for I delivered unto you first of all, and then notice here, that which I also received. You see, there was a moment in Paul in, in Saul of Tarsus' life, before his name got changed to Paul, where he responded by trusting the resurrection. And it was on that day, on that road to Damascus that day, as he was, uh, got to see that, okay, I trust the resurrection. Uh, what I have been doing has been completely wrong. And so now I believe, I receive Verse number 10 of chapter 15 here, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. And he's, he talks about the grace of God in his life. And, and yes, it was empowering him to serve the Lord. But more than that, I think he was looking back to the fact that, hey, I, I got to believe this myself. And so he responded by trusting the resurrection. Years ago, two men, uh, by the name of one by the name of Lord Littleton, and the other's name was Gilbert West. Both of these men were confirmed skeptics. skeptics. They met in England to lay plans to demolish Christianity once and for all, to put away this farce, this fairy tale, and to destroy it. And so they agreed that Christianity rested on two major premises, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. If they could undermine these two things, they thought they could destroy the Christian religion. Gilbert West undertook to disprove the resurrection, and Lord Littleton agreed to take on the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. They agreed to separate for a period of time, to pursue their studies, to assemble their arguments, and meet again later to review their progress. But what happened is one of the most beautiful things that has ever happened in Christianity. You see, both men, as they studied, as they assembled their arguments, were both converted while looking for evidence to support their claims. 
And both men wrote their books to prove the accuracy of the New Testament narrative. Gilbert West became the author of a book on the resurrection of Christ, which became a classic in its day. And Lord Littleton championed the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You see, try as you might, you, you, you try to prove it, go for it, but you're going to find that uh, there is more evidence for the resurrection of Christ than against it by far. And uh, you try to uh, prove that Saul was not converted, good luck with that. You're going to find that Paul responded by trusting the resurrection. And not only Paul trusted the resurrection, but the Corinthian uh, believers did too. In verse number one, look at verse number one. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. So, Corinthians, you remember? You received this. You believed in the resurrection. Verse number 11, he, he goes on to say this. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. See, there was a moment in their, in their lives as, as citizens of Corinth where they were faced with the truth of the resurrection, and they chose to believe. They chose to trust. Not everybody believes when faced with the truth of the resurrection. Acts chapter number 17 as Paul is preaching there on Mars Hill. In verse 32, the Bible says this, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Some kind of <laughs> snickered and said, this is ridiculous. And others said, well, we'll hear, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. How be it, certain men claved unto him and believed. So there were some that mocked and some that believed. There were two categories of people when faced with the truth of the resurrection. Which category are you, my friend? Are you one that says, well, that's a nice story. I get it. That's what we talk about on this day every year. Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Can't we just get to the ham? But then there's others who say, Jesus really did rise from the grave. And what he said is true. I'm going to trust that for myself. Which category are you in? Martha was in a category of one who believed. In John chapter number 11, you don't have to turn there, but I am. In John chapter 11, in verse number 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, what's, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked Martha this question. Believest thou this? I love verse 27. Martha said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ the Son of God, which should come into the world. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Have you trusted the resurrection and the resurrected Savior? The disciples, right after the resurrection, were mixed on it. Remember Thomas? He gets a bad rap. And it's because he didn't believe 
that Jesus actually rose from the grave until he saw him with his very own eyes. And here's the record in John chapter 20 and verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, go ahead and reach in, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. He said, I don't need to do that. I can see with my, my eyes. You have risen from the grave. You are living. Well, the Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. I don't think there's anybody in here today. In fact, I know for a fact that nobody in here has physically seen the risen Savior. It's, it's a lot like wind. You can't see wind. You can see the effects of wind. And, and, and those of us who have trusted Christ, you can see the effects of the risen Savior in our lives. But, uh, but none of us have seen the risen Savior physically. But for those who choose to believe without seeing, God gives a Jesus gives a special promise. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So as we consider the evidence of the truth of the resurrection, uh, may all of us respond by trusting the resurrection. John 1 and verse number 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today? If you have never done that, I can't think of a better day than Resurrection Sunday 2022 to place your faith in the one who lives again. So what do we do with the truth of the resurrection? Well, we respond by trusting the resurrection. What other decisions should we be making regarding this passage and the resurrection? Well, we need to, uh, number three, recognize the transformation of the resurrection. You see, those who believed in the resurrection, those who trusted the resurrection, it completely transformed their lives. They were never the same as a result. Look in verse number nine, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, the apostle, is writing here. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See, Paul here went from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher of Christ, a complete 180-degree change. Paul was completely and totally transformed. What can make that type of a change? Only the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You and I perhaps have all heard stories of countless people who went from a life of drugs, a life of alcohol, a life of sexual addiction, gangs, crime, and self-righteousness to a life of service for others and for the Lord Jesus Christ, completely changing their life. What can we attribute that to? AA? A great uh, social uh, club? No. 
the resurrection of Christ. I think about a couple examples among the disciples. Peter is one such example. Mr. Unstable. Mr. Open Mouth and Insert Foot. He went from a man who in fear denied his Lord three times to the one who stood boldly in the book of Acts declaring the truth of who Jesus is no matter the cost. And by the way, it did cost him. We find Peter in Acts chapter 12 in prison for preaching the truth. What made the difference? Well, a little encounter right after the resurrection with the one who had risen. The apostle John was another example. He became a new man after the resurrection of Christ. You see, prior to the resurrection, John despised the Samaritans. Talk about being a racist. John fit the bill to a T. He despised the Samaritans. So much so that he desired fire to fall down from heaven to consume these people. Because they were different from him. No wonder he was nicknamed one of the sons of thunder. Well, after the resurrection, we later find John and the Samaritans together again. But this time we find him preaching the gospel to these people in their villages. Quite a change. From desiring fire to fall down to now desiring that they would get saved and have their sins forgiven. What made the difference? May I submit to you, it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that made the difference. See, uh, you and I who have believed on Christ, our lives are to be different than they were before we were saved. If you say, well, pastor, I have believed on Christ, but my life is the same as it was before I got saved. I still do the things I used to do, and I still say the things I used to say, and I still go to the places I used to go, and I still listen to the things I used to listen to, there's been no change in my life, then, friend, I wonder if you really have trusted Christ as your Savior. If year after year and there's no growth, there's no fruit in your life, then I wonder if you really have, at least I would just submit to you, maybe you should ask the question, am I really a child of God? Because if you are, it should evidence itself in the fruit of your life. There ought to be a transformation because of what Christ has done in your life. There has been in these men and in these people and in my life as well and I hope in yours. So we need to recognize the transformation of the resurrection. And then number four, and last thought here as we wrap this up, we need to resolve to tell the resurrection. Resolve to tell the resurrection. Verse number one, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I have preached unto you. Verse number two, by which ye are also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you. Verse number 11, Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. See, once Paul came face to face with the truth of the resurrection, uh, he trusted it. He placed his faith in Christ. And then his life was completely transformed. And then he couldn't stop telling others about it. 
In fact, he dedicated the rest of his life to telling others of the resurrection. He, he went to great lengths to do so. And he paid a, quite, quite a price to do so. Uh, he said in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, these are some of the things that he had to deal with because he was telling others of the resurrection. He said, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. He said, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeyings often, in perils of water, and perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and in nakedness. He said, I went through all of that just so that I could tell others of the resurrection. It's not exactly a great brochure for us as we uh, consider telling others about Christ. <laughs> hey, this is what Paul had, and you might have it too. But you know what? He loved it. It was his passion. He, he had a desire to know the Lord and to make him known. Later, Paul would pay the ultimate price as he was martyred for the faith. History records that Paul was beheaded in a Roman prison. Well, despite the price, Paul was passionate about telling the gospel. And may the Lord help us to tell others of the resurrection as well. Romans 10 and verse 14. How then shall they call in him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And you might be saying, amen. That's why we have you here, pastor. So that you can tell others. Well, I do need to tell others. But not because I'm a pastor but because I'm a Christian. And you need to tell others as well because you are a Christian. And God has called us all to preach the gospel to every creature. In fact, five times in the word of God, once in each gospel and once in the book of Acts, we are called to tell others to preach the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read a story this week about a precious lady named Edith Burns, who was a wonderful Christian, a lady who lived in San Antonio, Texas. Don't hold that against her. She was the patient of a doctor by the name of Will Phillips. Dr. Phillips was a gentle doctor who saw patients as, as people, you know, not just as a number. Uh, let's get this one through. Uh, he really cared. His favorite patient was Miss Edith Burns. One morning, he went to his office with a heavy heart, and it was because of Edith Burns. When he walked into that waiting room, there sat Edith with her big black Bible in her lap, earnestly taking or talking to a young mother sitting beside her. Edith Burns had a habit of introducing herself in this special way. She said, hello, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? Then she would explain the meaning of Easter, and many times people would end up getting saved. Dr. Phillips walked into that office, and there he saw the head nurse, Beverly. Beverly had first met Edith when she was taking her blood pressure. And Edith began by saying, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? Beverly said, why, yes, I do, Edith. E why, why, yes, I do. And Edith said, well, what do you believe about Easter? And Beverly said, well, it's all about egg hunts, going to church, and dressing up. 
Edith kept pressing her about the real meaning of Easter and finally led her to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Dr. Phillips said, Beverly, don't call Edith into the office quite yet. I believe there's another delivery taking place in the waiting room. After being called back into the doctor's office, Edith sat down, and when she took a look at the doctor, she said, Dr. Will, why are you so sad? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Dr. Phillips said gently, Edith, I'm the doctor and you're the patient. With a heavy heart, he said, your lab report came back and it says you have cancer. And Edith, you're not going to live very long. Edith said, well, why, Will Phillips, shame on you. Why are you so sad? Do you think God makes mistakes? You've just told me I'm going to see my precious Lord Jesus. I'm going to get to go see my husband and my friends. You've just told me that I'm going to celebrate Easter forever, and you're here having difficulty giving me my ticket? <laughs> Dr. Phillips thought to himself, what a magnificent woman this Edith Burns is. Edith continued coming to Dr. Phillips. Christmas came, and the office was closed through January 3rd. And on the day the office opened, Edith did not show up. Later that afternoon, Edith called Dr. Phillips and said she would have to be moving her story to the hospital and said, Will, I'm very near home, so would you make sure that they put women in here next to, next to me in my room who need to know about Easter? Well, they did just that, and women began to come in and share that room with Edith. Many women were saved. Everybody on that floor, from staff to patients, were so excited about Edith that they started calling her Edith Easter. That is, everyone except Phyllis Cross, the head nurse. Phyllis made it plain that she wanted nothing to do with Edith, Edith because she was a religious nut. She had been a nurse in an army hospital. She had seen it all and heard it all. She was the original G.I. Jane. She had been married three times, and so she was hard, cold, and did everything by the book. One morning, two nurses who were to attend to Edith were sick. Edith had the flu, and Phyllis Cross had to go in and give her a shot. When she walked in, Edith had a big smile on her face and said, Phyllis, God loves you, and I love you, and I have been praying for you. Phyllis Cross said, well, you can quit praying for me. It won't work. I'm not interested. Edith said, well, I will pray. And I've asked God to not let me go home until you come into the family. Phyllis Cross said, then you will never die because that will never happen. And curtly walked out of the room. Every day, Phyllis Cross would walk into the room and Edith would say, God loves you, Phyllis, and I love you and I'm praying for you. One day, Phyllis Cross said she was literally drawn to Edith's room like a magnet would draw iron. She sat down on the bed, and Edith said, I'm so glad you have come, because God told me that today is your special day. Phyllis said, Edith, you have, you have asked everybody here the question, do you believe in Easter? But you have never asked me. Edith said, Phyllis, I wanted to many times, but God told me to wait until you asked. And now that you have asked... Edith Burns took her Bible and shared with Phyllis the Easter story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Edith said, Phyllis, do you believe in Easter? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive and that he wants to live in your heart? 
Phyllis said, oh, I want to believe that with all my heart. And I do want Jesus in my life. And right there, Phyllis prayed and trusted Jesus Christ into her heart. And for the first time, Phyllis did not walk out of a hospital room. She was carried out on the wings of angels. Two days later, Phyllis Cross came in and Edith said, do you know what day it is? Phyllis said, why, Edith, it's Friday. Edith said, oh, no, for you, every day is Easter. Happy Easter, Phyllis. Two days later, on Easter Sunday, Phyllis Cross came into work, did some of her duties, and then went down to the flower shop and got some Easter lilies because she wanted to go up to see Edith and give her some Easter lilies and wish her a happy Easter. She walked into Edith's room. Edith was in bed. That big black Bible was on her lap. Her hands were in that Bible. There was a sweet smile on her face. When Phyllis went to pick up Edith's hand, she realized, though, that Edith was dead. Her left hand was on John 14 in my father's house or many mansions. And then, uh, let's see, her right hand was on Revelation 21.4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death, no sorrow, no crying. Phyllis Cross took one look at that dead body and then lifted her face toward heaven and with tears streaming down her cheeks and said, Happy Easter, Edith. Happy Easter. Phyllis left Edith's body, walked out of the room, and over to a table where two student nurses were sitting. She said, My name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? As we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to realize the truth of the resurrection. Respond by trusting the resurrection. Recognize the transformation the resurrection makes in each of our lives. But then we need to resolve to tell others of the resurrection. To be an Edith Easter or an Eric Easter or a you fill in your name Easter. Where we're telling others about Christ. Look, I realize that all of us have jobs and we go to school and all of those things, but realize that as a believer in Christ, our overarching purpose in this life is to tell others of the resurrection. That's why God didn't take us out of here the moment we got saved, because he has a mission for us to accomplish, purpose for us to fulfill. Will you fulfill that purpose? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day as we celebrate the glorious and powerful resurrection of Christ. Lord, we've looked at some proof, some many infallible proofs of the resurrection. And Lord, if there's one here today that's never trusted the Lord Jesus, the one who lives today, may today be the greatest day of their life. And then, Lord, help us to recognize the fact that the resurrection should produce a transformation in our life. And then, Lord, help us to resolve to tell others of the resurrection. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Miss Pat, if you would go ahead and begin to play. And as she does on this Resurrection Sunday, I wonder if there's somebody here today who would say, Pastor, thanks, thanks for the message. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, I've never trusted the resurrection. I've never believed on Christ as my Savior. 
But today, I'm asking you to pray for me that I would make that decision today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand very quietly and quickly? No one looking around. Anybody all this morning that say, you know, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian, but I'd like to make that decision today on this Resurrection Sunday. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Anybody like that today? Lord, we thank you for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you for what you have done in our lives. But Lord, now that we have trusted Christ, now that we have believed, I pray, Lord, you'd help us now to tell others of the resurrection. Help us, Lord, to give that message out to those around us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. I'm going to ask her to continue playing. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat. And then we'll conclude with one more song here in a moment. As she plays, I encourage you to have a time of prayer.